Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. All right, so this is the Battle of the Bands message series, and uh, we have been through the summer uh, taking a look at uh, some different songs. We've been looking at some, uh, some music uh, that has meant different things to the members of our teaching team. When we got together, our teaching team really, we got together, I think it was like early spring or maybe, might even have been late last winter. Uh, we got together and sort of chopping, started chopping things up and talking about our summer series. We plan our messages here months in advance. Not sure if you knew that, but uh, so we got together and we said, all right, let's each pick a song that means something to us. And we'll see where that song intersects with biblical truth and see what we can learn. And over the course of the summer, you guys, if you've been here for it, you've heard from Super Tramp, John Bellion, Tears for Fears, Tori Amos, the Wu-Tang Clan, and Pearl Jam. <laughs> that's been our, that's, I don't know of a more eclectic, like varied group of songs to choose from. And could I just say, our teaching team has worked really, really hard this summer. Could we clap it up real quick for the, the work they've all done? Like, it's just been... I've been very blessed listening to all these messages and taking them in myself. It's just been killer. Today we are wrapping this message series up with a song by an artist called Matt Marr, and he, is, uh, he wrote this song, Hold Us Together, which um, carries a special meaning for me, which I'll get to as we dive in. We're going to begin this morning, uh, begin our message, with a little trip down memory lane for me, and I hope you guys can come with me. Do you have, um, are, are, are there a, a couple of summers from your childhood that have a particularly rich bank of memories for you. You got a couple of summers from when you were a little kid. You know, you just remember the stuff you were doing. You remember where you were. And even though years and years have come and gone between that, that, that time, you could sort of just like, you, you could close your eyes and go right back to where you were. I don't know if you got some stuff like that, but I've got, I've got a couple of summers like that for myself from when I was a kid, and I know most of you, or maybe you don't, but some of you may know, I grew up in Staten Island. Whatever you may have heard about Pete Davidson, I am the king of Staten Island. Don't know if you knew, but that's me. So, um, um, but I grew up in Staten Island, and, and uh, whatever you may have heard about Staten Island, it's, it's one of the five boroughs, but it's the most suburban of the five, but it's still really tightly packed. Uh, but our, the place where I grew up was kind of unique. We, grew, we lived at the end, the tail end of a dead-end street, and this dead-end street actually abutted another dead-end street. And between these two dead-ends, there was a stream and a small wooded lot where like all the kids in our neighborhood would come to hang out. And my house was just right in front of it, right, right to the side of it, like right, right there on top of it. And so my brother, I have a younger brother, he's two years younger than me. There were tons of kids in our neighborhood who were like our age. So every summer, like these, these, these wonderful summers with these vivid memories from when I was in like middle school, you know, grammar school and even middle school, like we would just, just get together every day and play. We were never indoors. Like you wouldn't be inside unless it was pouring rain. So, so uh, out in the street, constantly just getting into trouble, doing all kinds of things. Our parents weren't hovering, you know, the, back in those days. There were no helicopter parents in the 80s. They just let us out, you know. And so... But we would be out, and if we weren't in the woods or in the stream, we were on one of our two dead-end streets playing, playing stickball and playing kickball or touch football or kick the can. Anybody remember kick the can? You know, kids don't play kick the can anymore. It's a sad story. The game is vanishing. We used to, and we used to have, 
<clears throat> we used to have epic games of manhunt. Anybody remember manhunt? Come on, we, clap it up for manhunt right now. Like, when you were a kid, when we were kids, we used to play. If kids, if you're in the room, you don't know what that is, just, just ask your parents. You know, kids can't play manhunt anymore. The hovering parents give away their spots. You know, it doesn't work. So, like, yo, but I'm telling you, we just would just go, and our parents never knew where we were, so we got playing manhunt. And then, so if we were, but if we were on the street playing, like, a street game, if we were playing stickball or kickball or, or, or one of those games, uh, you know, from time to time, the game would be interrupted by somebody's mom or dad pulling down. No, we, it was a dead-end street, so we didn't get a lot of traffic. But once in a while, somebody's mom or dad would pull down the block and, and need to get into their driveway. And then the, uh, the game would stop on a dime the minute somebody yelled, car! Yeah, you know, car! And it's just everybody knew, stop. You just stop on a dime. Oh, okay, car. And, you know, and, and if you, you lived on that kind of a street, the car goes by and you're like, eh, you know, you're saying something to the person as they go by because uh, you were all little rebellious kids and troublemakers. You know you were. So, uh, you know, once in a while somebody would yell car, but there was something else somebody would yell from time to time which would stop play. And uh, <clears throat> it happened when there was an argument. Like, you know, back in the day, there's no, there's, we're umpiring and refereeing these games ourselves. So we're making our own calls. So at some point, you know, with, with a bunch of kids playing things uh, and being a little competitive, you know, s somebody would, be, there'd be an argument over whether somebody was out or safe, or there'd be an argument over whether, we actually had an argument once, somebody, we're playing stickball, and somebody, somebody crushed a ball, and it went, and it broke a window in somebody's house, and it went into the house, broke the window, and the ball was lost, and we had like a 20-minute argument about whether it was a home run or a foul ball. Like, seriously, this is, <laughs> honestly, that happened. So, at some point, like when you, when you, uh, you've got a group of kids and they're all just trying to figure out what happened and they're all arguing over what or the other, eventually one kid in the group would become exasperated, not caring about the outcome, and just say, could we just get back to playing the game? And that kid would yell something out. Do you know what it was? Do over, thank you. Yeah, just do over. <clears throat> and then everybody, somehow, as if by magic, everybody in the argument would just go, all right. You know, neither one's necessarily happy with the outcome, but do-over is fair to, to both sides. Do-over means we'll just take it again from the top. Let's just back things up. We'll pretend that didn't happen, and we'll just start again from here. Have you ever felt, as an adult, like you need a do-over? <laughs> Have you ever just felt like you could use a do-over, like... Like just, oh man, could we just take this again from the top? Could we just start? Could we just forget all of that ever happened? Could we just erase all of what just came behind? Could we just begin again from here and, and start over? We have all had that sensation. We've all wished we could start again. We've all wished we could erase what's happened, undo what's happened, and make a new start, a do-over, a true do-over. Thankfully, we serve a God who offers them. You and I aren't the first people in history to need a do-over. There's one guy in particular, and this is true of every human being who's ever lived, so the people in the biblical narrative, excepting, of course, Jesus Christ himself, 
The people in the biblical narrative all fit this description. We've all needed a do-over. And there was one guy in particular, a guy by the name of David, King David. Some of you may have heard of David. Uh, This is the David that every David in your life has ever been named. David is named after this David, like he's that David, okay? So King David in the biblical narrative was kind of an important player. He was, in fact, referred to in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. Can you imagine that? I mean, what a cool thing to be known as. He was known as a man after God's own heart. I would love for somebody to say that about me someday. Or maybe you would too, you know. What was he or she like after you die or something? You know what? He was a man or she was a woman after God's own heart. What a beautiful thing. Well, let me tell you a little something about this man after God's own heart. At one point in David's story, he ascends to be the king of Israel. Like David is the king of Israel. He has absolute power. And while he was king of Israel, he slept with another man's wife abused his power as king, summoned her to his chambers, slept with her, and then just dismissed her as if nothing to see here, no problem, no issues. Like, he just sort of expected it all to go away. And then, when she came up pregnant, David, King David, the man after God's own heart, had her husband killed so he could take her for himself. This is King David. Sleeps with the guy's wife. When she comes up pregnant, David has him killed. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm looking at these two apparently disparate facts, right? Like he's, he's committed adultery and murder, and yet He's called a man after God's own heart. And I don't get that, because in my world, if you have somebody killed, you are disqualified from being thought of as a man after God's own heart. I just don't see how you could do that. I don't, I don't get how that would work, you know? I've known a few people who have had affairs, but I've never known somebody who had an affair and then had the spouse killed. No one's ever confessed that particular sin to me. So I don't know anybody in that boat. Maybe you're out there. Maybe you've done something like that. You know, we're, we're, some of you are shady. So, like, let's, you know, maybe, maybe that's happened. And, and, and if it has, that's no laughing matter. We live in a world where things like that go on. But you, if, you, if you're me, and I think, I think you might be thinking with me on this, uh, if a person does that, if a person has done that, uh, that kind of disqualifies them from being thought of as holy. I know people who have faith. I know people who love God. I know some people who are trying hard, like to have a good relationship with God. They don't typically have people killed. So what is the deal with David? How does David end up guilty of all this stuff and yet known as a man after God's own heart, author of so many of the scriptures? Well, it goes like this. Because God still cared about David, despite his great sin, God sent someone to confront him, a prophet. God sent a prophet by the name of Nathan. Nathan the prophet comes to David and asks for an audience. Now understand this. Once again, David is the king. He has absolute power. So if David says, off with his head, your head comes off. Like, that's it. That's the end of it. No trials, no nothing like that. What he says goes. So Nathan seeks an audience with King David. 
David grants the audience. All right, Nate, what do you got? Well, O king, uh, a terrible injustice has happened in your kingdom. Something awful has happened, and you need to know about it. Okay, what's up? There is in your kingdom, O king, a rich man, a very wealthy man, a man who lives in a big, big house, and he's got, he's got uh, flocks on flocks on flocks. Like, he's got sheep and goats and livestock, like more, more, more animals than he can really count. He's got multiple sons, uh, and they themselves have families, and he's just a very wealthy, very blessed man. And David's like, mm-hmm, okay. And right next to the, the rich man, O king, there's a poor man. Like, he's just really, he lives in a very, very small little one-room house, and uh, he doesn't have any sons. His sons have kind of died. He's sort of alone, and uh, he, he doesn't have flocks. He, in point of fact, uh, O king, he only has one sheep, just one little sheep, and to which David is likely saying, okay, could we move this along? Like, what's the problem? Okay, I know, I know, I'm sorry, uh, uh, your majesty. Uh, here's the deal, though. The guy just has the one sheep. I mean, it's just the one, and he loves it. Like, the sheep is more like a pet. It has a name, and he cares for it deeply, and, and this is just kind of this little guy's life, but he li lives right next door to the rich guy, and King David's kind of like, okay, all right, keep going, whatever, you know. Wrap it up. And so Nathan says, yeah, I know, I know. This is the horrible part. This is the awful thing, okay? Uh, the, the rich guy had a party. Like, he threw a big party, threw a massive party, brought all his sons and their families, and they all just came. All, everybody was kind of invited. Maybe you heard about it. Oh, no, never mind. Okay, so you know, he, he had a big party, and, and he brought everybody together, and he made a big feast. And when it came time to prepare for the feast and to slaughter a lamb for the feast for everyone to eat, he didn't take one of the hundreds and hundreds of sheep that he owned. He took the poor man's sheep. He took the sheep, this poor man, just this, all he had. The rich man took the guy's sheep and slaughtered it and fed it to his guests. Now David leans forward. He did what? That's the, that's the worst thing I've ever heard. Bring him here. Bring him here and we'll deal with it. Bring him here and he'll be punished. Bring him here and we'll make it right. Now remember, off with his head and Nathan's head comes off. So his knees are a little, little, little weak. You know, maybe he's got a little butterflies happening. Maybe his voice is a little shaky or maybe he stood up confident like a man of God. We don't really know which. One way or the other though, he looked at David and said, King David, you are that man. You're that man. You had wives and concubines beyond count, but you took the wife of your servant, Uriah the Hittite. You took her for yourself and you had him killed. You were wrong. You offended God. You have sinned and you need to repent. Now David, at this moment, is at a very, very important point in his life. Have you ever come to a point in your life when you knew this next decision is gonna send my life in one of very two different directions? You ever had a moment like that? You don't always know when they come. David, I'm not sure if David knew, but this is a key moment because surely in this moment, something rose up in David. Surely at this moment, anger flashed. Surely there was a flash of how dare you? I mean, it doesn't say that this happened in the scriptures, but I just guarantee you, David had a moment of anger. There was a moment of, who do you think you're talking to? Cut out his tongue. 
Let's see how the prophet does when he can't make words anymore. Surely that came up in David. But thank God that wasn't where David went. What David did was take the other path. He fell to his knees and he wept and he confessed everything and asked God for forgiveness. And because of his encounter with the prophet Nathan, David wrote the following words, which we find in Psalm 51, some of which says this. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You've broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And make me willing to obey you. David falls to his knees, and my summation of what he writes in Psalm 51 is this. I am guilty of everything I have been accused of. I'm guilty, I've screwed up, I've blown it. God, if anybody in history has ever needed it, please, I need a do-over. I need to start again. I can't erase this. I can't work my way out of it. I can't say, well, I'll make up for it. I can't, I can't figure out a way to, to, to erase this debt. This isn't really something I can come back from on my own. I need you to create in me a clean heart. I need you to forgive me. I need you to provide me with a new start. And some of us are right there. Some of us here today are right in that spot. And maybe that's you today. Maybe today you need to repent and understand this. This is not, hey, David, don't worry. You know, I mean, it's okay. Nobody's perfect. I mean, you're going to be okay. Uh, tomorrow's a new day. Buck up, little camper. <laughs> this isn't that. This is tears and repentance and the full weight of what he's done landing on him. This is him crying out for forgiveness, knowing of his own guilt, and, and, and making, and doing business with God. 
Some of us need that. Have you been there? You ever wept for your own sin? Come face to face with what you've done? If you never have, I mean, I'm not suggesting you, you, you move there and live there, but once in a while, a visit to that place is healthy. It reminds us of how broken we are and how deeply we need God's grace and God's forgiveness. Maybe for some of us that's appropriate. We need a do-over because of the things we've done. Others of us need a do-over for a different reason. Some of us need a new beginning because of things that were done to us. Yeah, some of us, for some of you, you were betrayed or you were wounded or you were abused or injured in some way. Some of you were dealt a hand and you've looked at your cards and gone, why me? Why did this have to come my way? Why did this situation have to land in my life? And it's just been a long, long time since you've had a glimpse of hope. Been a long time since you've had a glimpse of hope. Been a while since you reminded yourself of the fact that your future is in God's hands and that there are things now you could be rejoicing about, that you have it within your power to, to shift your, potent, to your perspective, to change the way you look at these things, to find hope where it may be found. This song... It came to me when I was really at my lowest. Uh, some of you may know, um, I got divorced about, well, it's three and a half years ago now. It's been a while. The years are moving on. But leading up to that point, so what would have been about four and a half years ago, I was at my lowest. I mean, I just... I was truly miserable, just in the depths of misery, and it was that I felt terrible about the, my marriage ending, and it was that I just felt so helpless in the middle of it and felt like, like I just, like, I was blaming everybody. I wasn't owning what was mine to own. There was just all this stuff going on, and in the middle of it, and this was, this was important. I felt like my time as a pastor was over. I mean, I just couldn't, conceive of the idea that anybody would want to go to a church where the pastor was divorced. I, mean, I just figured everyone would leave. I figured it would just, that would just be the end of it, and, and it, it didn't go that way, and it was so much... Have you ever, you ever had something in your life that you dread for so long, and then it wasn't nearly as bad as you dreaded it to be? It was like that. I just didn't... I expected you guys... I expected the church to be like, like torches and pitchforks and yeah, you know, and it just didn't, it just didn't go that way. Well, some people left over it, but it didn't go that way. But I was, I was, at that time, I was like, I'm done as a pastor. My marriage is over. My calling is over. My career is over. I'm going to have to go do something else for a living. Like, it's all done. It's all over with. And I, I was so sad and so hurt and so angry and so, I was just in an awful, awful place. And I was in Florida which can make a person miserable just by itself. But I was, I was, just kidding, I like Florida. I was preaching for a friend of mine that weekend in Miami, and I had taken a day on the front end to just think, because I knew I was under a ton of stress and I just needed to clear my head. I was driving in the Everglades, which lush jungle, and I'm driving through the Everglades, and this song comes on the radio, and I hear... This is the first 
day of the rest of your life. Even in the dark, you can still see the light. It'll be all right. And I'm going to tell you, it seems a simple lyric. You've heard that phrase before, first day of the rest. You've seen that on bumper stickers. I pulled over and sobbed. Like I almost had to turn in my man card. It was ugly crying. You know what I'm talking about? It was bad. So I mean, I sobbed and cried, but you know what I needed? I needed a do-over. I needed the, the hand of God to whisper to me, the voice of God to whisper to me, hey, I still got you. Yeah, I know this hurts. I know this is awful. I know you don't want to be here. I know you wish it were different. I know, and you don't feel like you can do anything about it. Listen, you still have today. You still have tomorrow. I'm still sovereign. And even if you don't get to be the pastor of True North anymore, Pastor of True North Community Church is not my primary identity. Beloved son of my heavenly father is my primary identity. So if I don't get to be the pastor here anymore, that'll be okay. I'll figure something else out. I don't plan on going anywhere, but I was, in that moment, I was like, well, what, what happens? Is my life over? No. God still loves me. There's still hope. It was the first time in a long time I caught a glimpse of hope. And it was, it was so precious to me. I didn't ever want to lose it. And I've had to make so many do-overs since then and own so many things and, and confess so many times, like David, on my knees that I, I failed and I've screwed up and I need a do-over. If that's where you are today, seek the Lord while he may be found. You will never regret the day you come to him broken and ask for that do-over. He cleans everything out before this very moment. He says, all right. We're going to erase it all and take it again from the top. That's what happens when we come to him. When we then catch a glimpse of hope, of what could be, if we were to keep our eyes on him and not, not spend our lives bitter about what happened to us, not spend our lives, you know, ruminating over the hand we were dealt. But moving forward, and I get that this is a process, particularly if there's abuse in place, that can be a years-long thing. But for some of us, what we need mostly now is to let it go and turn to hope and return. Get that do-over and start again. Yes? Father, we love you so much. And we so badly, Father, so desperately need a do-over today. Need you to create a clean heart within us. We can't, we can't do this on our own. We can't come back from where we've been by ourselves. We need your help. We need you to forgive us. We need your mercy and your grace to make us new. And so we pray, create a clean heart within us. Give us a do-over, a new start. Fill us with hope where there once was only despair and bitterness. Help us today by your grace to start again. May that be true in my life. May that be true in all of our lives. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word True North to 77977 on your cell phone and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.